I'm Coraline Brown. Happy New Year, everybody. This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, January 5th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. It happens every time a disaster strikes, a second, usually smaller disaster in the form of anti-price gouging action by law enforcement. That's when the state targets people for bringing vital supplies to those who need them at a higher than normal price. Cato's Ryan Bourne comments. With COVID for the past two years, most recently, uh, as people know, who listen to this podcast regularly. I am from Kentucky and in the wake of tornadoes uh, in Kentucky with the the awful devastation that has has come with that, we see the invoking of price gouging, typically by lawmakers, in the case of Kentucky, the top law enforcement officer in Kentucky, the attorney general, saying, hey, we're on the lookout. We are actively looking for price gougers wherever they may uh, crop up and for the most part, it seems like the people who are alleging that gouging is one, uh, a problem, um, and it, certainly it is a problem for people who are without resources trying to buy something, but it, it it's also the kind of thing that for lawmakers, for law enforcement, I don't want to see it. Yeah, so price gouging as a kind of accusation at firms um, basically implies that when disasters like this hit, um, companies kind of get greedy and and charge uh, consumers extortionate sums um, for their goods and services. Um, And we kind of seem to forget everything we know about where prices come from once emergencies hit. So in normal times, we recognize that prices are broadly determined by supply and demand in in most markets. Then when the price of something um, rises dramatically um, in in a crisis, sometimes because um, goods aren't able to be delivered, so there's far less supply in the area, or there's a massive expansion in demand, say because people are, are stuck at home in the pandemic, people wanted face masks and hand sanitizer and the like, you get a big increase uh, in the price. Now, prices are really just a messenger of the relative scarcity of a good. So what a rising price um, really screams as a message is that relative to current demands, there's a, a shortage that needs to be f- fulfilled. And what anti-price gouging regulation, which is what um, politicians often invoke during emergencies, what it effectively does is not so much shoot the messenger, but but takes the messenger into a, into a quiet room, holds a gun to its head, and uh, gets the messenger to tell it a comforting a comforting lie about the availability of the product. And, and in a sense, what that message to the messenger is, is that you better run out of all the stuff you've got as quickly as possible. Yeah, it's essentially um, saying you should charge the same price or a similar price to you would in ordinary times. And a consequence of that uh, is, of course, twofold. One is that uh, many people who perhaps if the price was higher might um, think again about whether they really needed a second uh, packet of hand sanitizer. Um, They don't rethink um, uh, their choices given the scarcity. But the more important consequence, I think, is that um, if you prevent prices from rising to clear the market, you effectively reduce the incentive for suppliers to bring more of the goods to market. As the great uh, Bill Niskanen, uh, chairman of the Cato Institute for more than two decades, said, greed is the constant here. Uh, the idea that businesses become greedier when tragedy strikes, sort of ignores the entirety of the context of the market. 
That's right. And of course, the Biden administration at the moment is alleging that one uh, cause of inflation is uh, uh, greedy meat conglomerates, as if for the rest of the past two decades, they've they've been pure and good and holy. And now all of a sudden, uh, during the pandemic, they've, they've suddenly become kind of greedy uh, profiteers. So what are we learning now about uh, the effects of these kind of laws or the presence of so-called gouging? Well, I think it's a, an acknowledged fact that during the pandemic, anti-price gouging uh, legislation did lead to prolonged shortages of certain goods um, and, and services that were in high demand. We saw that with things like hand sanitizer and toilet paper um, early on. And I think that's evidenced by the fact that um, if you look at states that had anti-price gouging legislation, there's been a lot of statistical analysis that has found that uh, consumers in those states were more likely to search for those uh, goods online. That suggests that there were shortages in stores and so uh, more customers were being forced online to kind of try and search out these goods. Um, but an interesting kind of new angle uh, from a, a new paper by Rick uh, Chakraborty and, and Gavin Roberts recently, two economists, has tried to disentangle whether the expectation uh, uh, that anti-price gouging legislation will be invoked actually leads to different effects than in states where there's perhaps a surprise new piece of legislation. So what they essentially try to do is look across all states, look at the variation in uh, when laws were introduced to ask, is consumer search behavior different in states with new legislation uh, compared to states with pre-existing uh, anti-price gouging laws. And they find that there is a difference. They find that in states where they had these laws on the books already, there's a much bigger uplift in online search for hand sanitizer um, and toilet paper. Now, what does that suggest? It suggests that um, consumers in those states recognize that a consequence of anti-price gouging legislation is shortages. So they they go and they they buy up and they hoard the products more than in other states. And as a result of that, uh, customers that can't access the products uh, search online for them even more heavily than in states where there's surprise new legislation introduced. That is not an altogether surprising result. I mean, it, it sort of jibes with the intuition regarding the fear of this, I know it when I see it regime of uh, trying to protect people in a sense from higher prices. Uh, in reality, what uh, lawmakers and law enforcement are actually protecting these people from is the availability of the goods they desperately want. Yeah, that's right. And it shows how consumers form their expectations based on the experience that they've had in previous crises. Um, what this uh, result really suggests is that the uh, experience of having dealt with um, an emergency in a, in a given state before and some of the induced shortages from these effective price caps in, in, in many states um, – you know, the impact of dealing with that is that people recognize that next time a crisis hits, you have to be even quicker out of the blocks in trying to access these products because um, once the emergency is declared, these price controls will kick in. Now, for a lot of big firms, and, you know, the study is very interesting, for a lot of big firms, I think what they are um, perhaps more responding to is just the, the picture uh, that would emerge from Costco saying charging a high price for toilet paper and hand sanitizer. Uh, practically, what large firms end up doing is saying limit two. Yeah, that's right. And um, there's a big literature out there that shows that many 
massive nationwide chains um, think that it would be more harmful for their reputation if they were to actually raise prices than to keep prices suppressed and have shortages on their shelves. Um, now, some some big chains like Walmart have kind of worked around that um, for localized uh, emergencies like tornadoes and hurricanes and the like by building a distribution and logistics system such that if there are shortages in one place, they can kind of get as much swooped in as possible so that actually you eliminate the shortages fairly quickly. Of course, the problem with the pandemic is that uh, this was pervasive across the whole country and it, it was a long lasting crisis as well in a way that those small localized ones are not. But there is evidence of this even in this pandemic. Uh, there have been a couple of studies that have looked at the pricing of face masks on Amazon Marketplace, for example. And what quite interestingly those studies have found is that if you were a seller of face masks uh, in 2019, so prior to the pandemic, um, you weren't able to charge as high prices as new entrants to the sector uh, who came in after the pandemic hit. Now, what does that show? It shows that existing suppliers who are you know, used to serving healthcare settings, uh, nursing home settings and the like, were worried about the reputational impact of being seen to raise prices uh, to the market clearing price. So I think this is a tale of both kind of reputational constraints and law. The problem is um, the laws when they're implemented, they they prevent some of the more kind of entrepreneurial or disincentivize some of the more entrepreneurial activity from small scale suppliers that can make up for the fact that many of the big chains are unwilling to raise prices. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Russ Roberts has made this point on, on numerous occasions, uh, my former professor. And I think Michael Munger has made uh, similar arguments. You know, it's like when you are going to a hurricane zone or uh, a tornado zone and you've got particle board and lumber, it is not entirely selflessly that you would want to get those materials where you are, maybe hundreds of miles away, load up your truck and then drive down to help out. Uh, it's not entirely selfless, but it's also not entirely selfish. Like you're going there to actually provide resources that people desperately want. And in, in part, you're maybe being entrepreneurial, but at the same time, this, the clear signal is uh, from law enforcement, don't do that. Yeah, no, that's right. And, um, you know, sometimes when there's snowstorms or hurricanes or even with COVID-19, with the risk of uh, contracting the virus, we didn't know a lot about it in those opening days. There are additional costs to uh, getting these goods to market than before, which of course are uh, in part a contributor to the the higher price that the that people are charging. I think, uh, you know, part of this theme really is how government laws, government regulations can undermine our resilience as a society. Because the problem is when you have legislation like this that actually disincentivizes people from uh, bringing more goods to market, uh, ramping up their production, running over time to actually um, eliminate these shortages, when you implement laws in crises like this, what you're doing is saying, okay, next time if something similar to this hit, uh, th this happens, um, we're effectively ruling out a bunch of profit that you could make from serving that market. And so it stops, or at least deters again, businesses from uh, investing in some what I describe as kind of option-ready supply so they can fulfill the market next time because they perceive that there would be uh, a big profit, you know, profitability uh, advantage from being able to serve that. Yeah. If you were interested in this from a purely economic, non-ideological perspective, you might say, Instead of having a bunch of laws on the books opposing price gouging, uh, write a check to every individual who was affected by some natural disaster 
and eliminate all of your price gouging laws. Because at, at that point, individuals are able to make those valuations and uh, the resources that are desperately needed in those places will will still show up. I think that's right. I think you're, tr- you know, this conflating a couple of um, different issues. One is how best to provide relief to people when emergencies hit. And I think um, tampering with prices is a terrible way of doing that because it has all these sorts of disincentives to actually supplying things that that, that people want and need. Um, but, you know, the, the bigger question, I, I think, is um, how do we how do we set systems so that when inevitably crises do hit, uh, we can recover from them as quickly as possible? And unfortunately, things like um, ca- effectively capping prices or even just introducing a bunch of uncertainty as to whether you, you know, you're going to get charged or not if you charge a price, which um, it's unclear whether it's regarded as unconscionable or not un- under law. When you introduce uncertainties like that, it just deters people on the margin from actually fulfilling the things that we, we really need. To, to get over crisis quickly. Ryan Bourne is author of the new book, Economics in One Virus. Now it's time for a shout out to a Cato podcast sponsor, Vern Meyer. Thank you for your support of the Cato Institute and the Cato Daily Podcast. We simply couldn't do our work promoting individual liberty, limited government, free markets, and peace without supporters like you. Thank you. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.